0: Lights, yes, they're in Tuscany. Wow, who,
1: where, are they? Sergio, and Sergio
0: and Rhoda? Sergio and Rhoda. Oh wow! If anybody's watching this right now, and we're live or anything, it's uh, we're just waiting to find out if uh, Sergio has got everything running properly. He's checking from Italy, Tuscany, Italy. Ooh, so wow. yeah, pretty special there. Let's see, he's typing something. Looks good. Okay, all right. Well, then we're going to get started because it looks hey. good. We're going to get started. Let's see here. we got a couple things to read. The first is uh, Psalm 119, verse 33.
1: Hey, grace. Man with arms raised, to look, reveal, read. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your command, for there I find my delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes, not and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. (laughs) Fulfill your promise to your servants, so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness.
0: Yeah, pretty wonderful there. My goodness. Okay, let's see. Uh, Verse
1: 37 says, turn off the TV.
0: Turn off the TV in verse 37. Absolutely right. Goodness, great. Well, it depends. If you've got a good uh, movie about uh, Jesus, you might as well let it run. Okay. Let's see here. May 17th. And yes, today is the 17th. So this is a father's fervent prayer was answered after his death. William Grimshaw was a well-known pastor and evangelist in Haworth, England during the mid-18th century. He and his first wife, Sarah, had two children, John and Jane, before Sarah died at the age of 29. In 1748, when John was 12 and Jane was 11, William sent them to be educated at the Kingswood School in Bristol, a boarding school started by George Whitefield for the children of minors, M-I-N-E-R-S. Let's see here. In 1740, John Wesley had turned it into a school for the children of itinerant preachers. Jane became, became very sick and died there at the age of 12. William Grimshaw was devastated not to have been with his daughter at her death, but was comforted by the story of the last words she uttered before dying. He hath loved me, I cried. He hath suffered and died to redeem such a rebel as me. John showed no interest in studying or in spiritual matters, and William thought he should at least learn a trade. After Jane's death, he brought John home from school to become a weaver's apprentice. He also wanted the boy nearer to himself so that he could encourage him in spiritual matters. After losing his mother when he was three, his stepmother when he was 10, and his sister when he was 13, John was a troubled teenager with no personal faith of his own. He had spent many of his years at his grandparents' home or at boarding school because of his father's travels. He and Jane had inherited all of his maternal grandparents' substantial estate. Knowing that he would be getting a substantial legacy when he turned 21 added to his difficulties. He had no motivation to master his trade or to study and become a heavy drink uh, study and became a heavy drinker, fathering a child out of wedlock. William Grimshaw hoped and prayed fervently that his son might find Christ. In a spirit of hopefulness for his son's salvation, he wrote, What inconceivable, incomprehensible, eternally durable pleasure it will afford us to meet and dwell forever with those in heaven, whether they have gone thither before us or shall follow after us. Oh, what exquisite pleasure to see their faces. Parents departed hence, and the Lord rejoice over the conversion of their children, whom they left behind in their sins. In March 1763, William contracted a fatal infection after visiting a sick parishioner. As he lay on his deathbed, many people came to visit him, risking their own health in order to pay their last respects to their beloved pastor and friend. One of the people who came to visit at his bedside was John, now 27 years old and still a drunkard. We do not know what was said between them. We do know that John went away burdened by the realization of his sinfulness for the first time. William died shortly thereafter and was buried near the pulpit in his church as he had requested. Memories of his father plagued John with guilt. He regretted his prodigal ways and the torment he had caused his father while he was alive. John inherited the horse that his father rode on his evangelistic travels, and when he rode the horse, he would often say, Once you carried a saint, but now you carry a devil. Over the next years, the burden of his sinfulness became intolerable, and he began to search for the God of his his father knew and loved. When he was only 31, he fell ill and soon was near death. Before he died, John finally found his Savior. His father's prayers had been answered. Remembering his father's great burden and hope for his salvation, John exclaimed with joy just before he died on May 17th, 1766, What will my father say when he sees me in heaven? (laughs) Reflection. William Grimshaw loved and prayed for his son for many years without seeing any visible results. Yet, even after he died, William bore witness to his son. His faithfulness was finally rewarded although not in his lifetime. We must be faithful in our prayers and our witness to our loved ones who are without Christ, for God brings people to himself in his own time. John 15:16 says, "I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name." I'd be careful using that verse too widely. People claim things in Jesus' name using that and that's not an appropriate way to use that verse, but uh, we can pray and we can pray and we, the Lord will hear. And it's totally up to him whether he responds so who or not. was
1: the famous person in that story? Uh,
0: the famous person was the preacher himself, William Grimshaw. Yeah, William Grimshaw. Um, so let's see here. We have uh, some prayer requests, which I failed to write down. I've been praying for people this week and uh, I always pray when they email me just in case I forget to write them down. And I'm trying to think of them. If I remember during the talk, I'll bring them up. I know Graham over in Scotland's, kind of suffering so we need to keep him in prayer but let's open in the prayer to the lord heavenly father we thank you for the wonderful blessings you've given us and how wonderful it is to be here with a little bit of rain falling on us it's been a nice couple days after a long dry spell and i'm certain that my wife will enjoy the mangoes that will get big because of all this rain and we thank you for that we thank you for the chance to meet here and to open up the bible the book of romans and to continue to study it and we certainly pray for all those who are afflicted in whatever their trials and troubles are whether they're physical mental emotional or financial or whatever else is inhibiting their walk with you that you would be with them get them through those things so that they can enjoy fellowship with you without those things on their mind and in their hearts and lord once again we thank you for this class we thank you for the chance to open your word and we praise you in jesus name amen Okay, so we have, uh, apparently, the the uh, streaming is working well. Sergio checked it out just as we were getting started. He is in Tuscany, Italy right now. Um, Rhoda's brother will be getting married tomorrow. And so, uh, yeah, that's pretty wonderful. And they'll be there for, I think, they'll leave the day after tomorrow, if I'm correct on that. And then they'll be back in Israel. So it was good having them here. It was really wonderful to see them and to share with them. and. Oh, wow. Um, okay, we're going to read Article 8, 7 of the uh, Chicago Statement of Faith. It says, We affirm that inspiration was the work in which God, uh, where was I, by his spirit, through human writers, gave us his word. Let me read that again. We affirm that inspiration, all scripture is, God breathed, Okay. We infer the, uh, affirm that inspiration was the work in which God, by his spirit, through human writers, gave us his word. It says that holy men of God were carried along as they were led by the spirit. That's a misquote, but what, how, can you quote that for me exactly? Okay, don't worry about it. But the book of uh, Peter, uh, 2 Peter, I believe, says that holy men of God are carried along. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, then they deny that the inspiration of Scripture can rightly be affirmed of the whole without the parts, or some of the parts, but not the whole. It is a unified whole. You can't take parts of it and say that this is um, all of uh, the inspiration, and we can't deny this part and affirm this part, and we can't deny the whole without the parts. Every part of Scripture is inspired. The whole is inspired. You can't take out this part and say, well, that's not... And that's important because, as I cite it often, because it's the most obvious thing in the world, is the one about ordaining women as elders, right? It You cannot take that part out and say, we are not going to use this. Now, at the same time, we want to be careful because the law, the law is set aside in Christ. So even though it's wholly inspired, even though it is a part of scripture, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's all of those things. It is not relevant to our walk with the Lord, except as a reference is how it points to Christ and maybe, you know, some other ways that we could think it's still valid, but it is not something that we apply to our life and doctrine. Okay, so we have to be careful with that. But if something is in the Bible and it is properly uh, belonging to the dispensation which you're in, and it says do this, then you are to do it. You can't say, well, I disagree with that part of scripture, but I agree with this part of scripture is basically what they're saying homosexuality is another perfect example. We have churches that say that it's okay to ordain homosexuals. It's okay to fellowship with homosexuals in the congregation, that they can be a member of the church and all of these things. They pull that part out because they don't like it. And they say, we're going to hold to this and this, but not this. I talked about that at the beginning of last week's sermon, very clearly that you need to take the whole body of scripture and you need to say it is all inspired by God, God, all parts of it are inspired by God and the whole is inspired by God. And it's not a part and not the whole. It's not the whole except this part. Okay, there you go. Um yeah, it's like a
1: pyramid of those
0: cups. Oh yes. You can't pull one. Can't out. pull a cup out and the thing's okay. still standing. Can I borrow your pen for a second? That's what I was looking for, and I obviously my left my bag way too far away. So uh there we go. Thank you. All right, then we have um Romans. We're in chapter 11 and we're in verse 16 today. How you doing today, Freda? Good, good, good. Doing wonderful. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Let's see here. You, you're going to read that while I'm looking for it because yeah, it's going to take me an hour to get there. Last week. I, we did a lot, yeah, and you I didn't watch. I yeah. can tell by your comment that you didn't watch, so now you I are uninformed. Not. And what we talked about, which is very shameful. Okay, that's all right, though. That's all right. We don't take. Uh, we don't make marks on our... Uh, let me write this down been here. Back? No demerits. Yeah, no demerits here. Okay, so go ahead. Verse 16.
1: If the part of the dough offered as first group is holy, then the whole batch is holy.
0: Okay, we got that. So what I want you to do is go back to verse 11 and start reading all the way to 16 now. That's fine. I wanted to get the verse out, and then w- there's a reason why I'm doing this.
1: I ask again, did they stumble so that, as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all, rather because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgressions mean riches for the world and their loss mean riches to the, Gent- for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my people to envy and save some of them. For if their <coughs> rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead?
0: Okay, before you read verse 16, who is he talking about?
1: talking the, the Jews.
0: Israel, the Jewish people, right? And he even made a distinction between them and the, the Gentiles. Gentiles. I mean, it's right there. And yet, Reformed theology completely ignores that and they say that we are Israel. It's crazy, but go ahead and read verse 16 now
1: If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy If the root is holy, so are the branches.
0: Okay, here are my comments. I had somebody I may have said this before But I had somebody ask me why do I read everything? Well, the reason why is because when I type things I have sat down and I've contemplated what I Want to put down in paper, and then I type it, and then I go back and I evaluate it, and I check it, and I think about it some more, and I type some more. And so, for me to just stand up here and to talk out of the Book of Romans, and there, he wasn't accusing; he was just saying, "I wonder why you do that." It's because you know when you have a Bible study and you don't read, or you at least have basic notes, then you're just going to be talking off the top of your head. And theology is a very deep thing; it's a very complicated thing. And for me to just talk, I'm going to make errors if I have my thoughts down, I can read them and then I can throw in my errors in the middle of my talking. So I'd rather at least have the substance of what I intend read out. And then, like I said, I can throw in all the errors I want But Go ahead. Isn't
1: that what you've typed?
0: This is what I've typed. Isn't
1: it available? It's
0: all available online, every single word of it. And uh, guess what? We're in uh, We're starting the book of Titus. Uh, this week, we're in uh, 2 oh, Timothy yeah, and the daily thing. we are yeah. got, I think, three more verses, and we're yeah. going to be in the book of Titus. So, whole new book of the Bible. It's really short, 46 verses long. If people actually do that instead of watching Prophecy Updates, you know, they'd have 15 minutes a day. They'd have the book of Titus actually understood. But I will announce that during the Prophecy Update, and I bet you that not one new person will subscribe to no. reading those. Oh, it's boy, such a—no, I'm telling you, it is such a shame. Prophecy Update people don't care about the Bible. The people that are watching the Bible studies and the sermons uh-huh. watch the Prophecy Updates because they're interesting as right. to how it relates to the Bible, but that's not why they're here. They're doing these things because they love the Word. Right. Very few people that just go to Prophecy Updates will ever get out of their Prophecy Updates. That's all they ever do. It's I find it very sad because very the sad. Word is where the riches are. Every single thing, you cannot remember what I talked about in a Prophecy Update three weeks ago. It, it You just can't because it's just trans, transitory stuff. But for the people that watch these uh, videos or that read the daily commentaries, man, that is where my heart goes out to them. When I pray for them, I sincerely pray for them because I know that they love the word. And when they've asked for something, they already know that the word is leading them and they... Obviously, are looking with even a greater burden in their life when they ask for prayer. Whereas a guy with a prophecy update and it watches them all the time, and they say, "Gee, can you pray pray for me?" They may not even know what they're asking for if it's in accord with the Word or not. So, anyway, that's my uh, uh, what do you call it uh, feather in the hat for all the people that watch the studies and read the devotionals. Honestly, yes.
1: I'm going to change the topic. Okay. Tremendously. What
0: does your shirt say? My shirt I says know. Taj Mahal, Agra, that. India. That's when Hidako went there back with Thor when they Thor was probably sick. Really? So that was that eons was... ago. Oh, yeah, wow. when we were living in Malaysia. Oh. Yeah, when you were assigned to the embassy, they gave us great deals to travel all over the place. So. There you go. So this shirt's probably 25 years old. Anyway, um, let's see. 20, it'd be 27 years old. Um, okay, 1116. Sorry, we've we, we, we got to get into the book. Um, uh, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. First fruit, lump, root, branches? What? Paul was just talking about Israel's being cast away and then returned to favor. What's the connection? Four. This is a different conjunction than verse 15. Here in verse 15, it said, for if they're being cast away. Here in verse 16, it says, for if the first root is holy. It's a completely different conjunction in the Greek, though. It is actually two words which carry the idea of if moreover, okay? He is adding to his previous thought and expanding on it. The imagery he will use is meant to show with all certainty that even though Israel was cast away, their return is assured. Why, you know, people can't figure this out in today's world. I, I you know, I, I have people, they they will, uh, you know, when you're on Facebook, people can assign you to a group and you just, they, they put you in there and you can, all of a sudden you start getting notifications. And I have people assign me to prophecy update groups all the time, it happens constantly. Yeah. And somebody was posting on one yesterday and they were talking about no third temple. There will be no third temple, right? There, it's It's not a real temple that's going to be built. And I made a comment. I said, that's ridiculous. I said, I went to Revelation 11 and I said, you can't measure uh, uh, an imaginary temple. And he came back with one of the stupidest comments Uh I'd ever seen. I thought, I'm not going to answer him. And they started citing verses out of context, right? And I thought, Uh I got to go eat dinner. So I went and ate dinner. I woke up this morning, 46 comments Uh afterward. And he he started accusing, what, you're not going to answer me and blah, blah, blah. And so what do I do? I just unsubscribe from the group, I don't want to be a part of forty six comments on something that was ridiculous to start with, you know anyway um it, it, that's the idea that people have in their heads they've got something in their head that the Jews are out, that we are all that there is, and that they're not coming in, and they will not see no matter how clear paul's words are here. That's the point I'm making about this, okay it says um the imagery he will use is meant to show with all certainty that even though Israel was cast away, their return is assured and they are not utterly rejected. Okay, and so in order to substantiate this in a metaphorical way, Paul goes directly to the law which established Israel in the first place. And he pulls out examples which actually verify that this is how God works. First, he says, if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also Holy, okay? The concept of first fruit is a portion of something, such as a grain or a fruit offering being offered to God. This portion then represents the whole. Okay, on the Feast of First Fruits, what was that picturing? Jesus coming out of the grave. He's the first fruits of those risen from the dead, right? Why is it called first fruits? Because there's more. more. All of the harvest is going to come back out of the grave. That's the significance of the feast of first fruits. It's not just that Christ died and that it's over. It's that Christ died as a guarantee for the successful crop that is coming behind him. Okay, that's the point of it. If he was just going to be the first fruits, they wouldn't have called him the first fruits. They would have called him the fruits, the fruits of the resurrection from the dead. And then we'd still be wondering if we were going to be resurrected or not. Okay, that's the point of the terminology that's used. Okay, the concept of the first fruit. Read it again, is a portion of something such as grain or fruit being offered to God. This portion then represents the whole. In the case of the lump, a portion of the dough which was made into bread after the harvest was cut off and it was offered to God. Okay, now that is a different first fruits. You've got the first fruits of the resurrection, then you've got the first fruits of the bread. Okay, that is found in Numbers 15. Let me take you there. All right, Numbers 15. And. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, and 15. And then in verse 18, it says, um, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall you offer it up. Of the first of your ground meal, you shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generations. Okay, so that is an offering that is given, and it represents the whole of their offering. Okay, when you, oh, I had it right here. I could have read it right off my page. The heave offering is comparable to the first fruits. If a portion of the lump is cut off and is offered to God, which is then accepted as holy, then the whole offering becomes sanctified and is holy as well. The sacred portion makes the whole sacred. Okay, everybody got that? Mm-hmm. We take this part, and this is a part of what we are offering. That is sacred, which means that the entire offering is sacred. Okay, bread is bread, but when a portion of a lump is deemed holy, then the whole lump is holy. Now, you could take the negative on that as well, and you could say that if you have a lump of bread and you put yeast in it, all right, the whole thing is going to be tainted with yeast, right? Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of yeast is to make it rise and it permeates the entire lo- loaf of bread and then the thing rises and but yeast is a picture of sin. It's a picture of corruption. So if you have something that's unholy, the whole thing is unholy, right? Okay. So um I I yes. It's the first fruits the best. <laughs> no, well, it depends on this, what first fruits you're talking about. Now, Christ is obviously the best of the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. This here is a representative of the whole. I'll explain it more as we go on. But uh, it, the first fruits doesn't signify the best in this sense. It just signifies it is the first of the offering, which is representative of the entire offering. If the first fruits is the best, then the entire is the best. It's one being a picture of the whole. That's what it's they, picked, they were
1: to bring their first fruits in for the offering. But
0: this is a lump of bread. This isn't the uh, the, the grain or anything. This is... this is uh, you got different things that are going on. That's from the book of Numbers, and that's what Paul is referring to here is the first fruits of the bread. You have a lump of bread, and you're taking off a piece of it, and you're saying that this portion represents the whole. If you gave them the whole, then you wouldn't have the bread to eat. Right? right? So there you go. That's what's going on. Okay. okay. So, um, let's see here. The heave offering is comparable to the fir- first fruits, and... Um, Uh, The second thought from Paul is that if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, so you got that. Verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy. That's what we just saw from Numbers. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay? And again, he has gone to the law to use a real precept to make the connection and how things work in spiritual matters. We find that in Leviticus 19. So we're going to go back to Leviticus 19 right now. And we got... We just finished the book of Leviticus. What a book. Oh my goodness. If you're watching the Bible studies and you didn't watch Leviticus sermons, watch them. They're wonderful. Leviticus 19, and then I'm going to take you to verse 23. It says, when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be Holy. A praise to the Lord, and in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God.
1: What chapter verse? That
0: was uh nineteen verses twenty three through twenty five that I just Uh read you. Okay, so you've got the tree. It is to be set apart for three years. You're not to do anything with it for three years. Okay, and then on the what was it the fourth year? Yes, the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy to the Lord. It'll be a praise to the Lord, and in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, that I may yield. To you, its increase, I am the Lord your God. Now, when it says it's holy, well, go back and watch the sermon. I'm not going to get into it now. It's, you want to understand more of it? The sermons are recorded. Okay, so um, a sapling may be planted at any time by anybody and in any location. And it's just a sapling. Like any other sapling, it just sits <laughs> there and it does its thing. But in the land of Israel, a sapling is made holy when it is dedicated to God. If it is holy in its roots, think of the sapling and what I just read you about the fruit, three years, and then the fourth year it's holy. The fruit itself will be holy to the Lord, and then after that, you can eat from it, okay? In the land of Israel, a sapling is made holy when it's dedicated to God. If it is holy in its roots, you plant it there, which receives the water and the nutrients from God's land and his provision, then it is holy in its trunk. And if it's holy in its trunk, then it's holy in its branches. And if it's holy in its branches, then it's sap which is in it is holy, and it's fruit, which, okay, so it's all holy. You understand the symbolism, all right? The holiness permeates the entire plant. In these two examples, which follow directly after his note concerning Israel, the intent is to tell us that the Jewish people, as a whole, have been set apart to God. 100% entirely as a whole. The unbelieving Jew that's over there, you know, in the doctor's office on uh, Main Street, is set apart as holy to the Lord. Follow my my logic before you get any uh, questions though. Okay, the whole has been set apart to God. If a portion of them has been sanctified as holy, then the whole is holy. This does not in any way imply that they are all saved, okay, as he will note in the coming verses. But that the people, as a whole, are being used for God's purposes. Okay, in support of this, we can go to Jeremiah chapter 11. And it says there in verse, I hope I got the right verse. Sometimes I write the wrong verse down six. It says, then the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. Okay. Why did I put that down there? Obviously I didn't put the right verse down. Again, I do that all the time. Um, uh, But verse 16 says, the Lord called your name green olive tree. So I want verse 16, not verse six, lovely and good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire and its branches are broken. Okay, so he's talked about the people of Israel being the green olive tree. Okay. Um, uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's exactly what I wanted, too. But I started with verse 6. Proclaim to me, uh, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. Then we want to go to 16. And go through 24. The Lord called your name, green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit, with the noise of a great tumult. He has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts, who planted you, has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense to Baal. Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the fruit with its, the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. But he's talking about the trees, talking about the fruit and everything else. The entire body is holy to the Lord. Okay, so we're going to go on. The dough and the tree are that which is holy. Each received its holiness from God. When a portion was deemed holy, the whole became holy. Psalm 105 verses 6 through 15 show this process. Let me take you there. Psalm 105. All right. Hold on. O C. The what? oh Yeah, okay, there you go. Psalm 105, verse, uh, where was I? Six. Yeah, 6 through 15. Okay, let's see here. I've got to go back one more page. And it says, um, oh, yes, so seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel is an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment for your of your inheritance when they were few in number, indeed, very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes saying, do not touch my anointed ones. And do my prophets no harm okay that shows you the process Abraham was selected and set apart by God from him that line went through Isaac and then to Jacob from Jacob all 12 sons received the sanctification a collective group of people was set apart by God for his service okay as Christ is the fulfillment of the promises through this line then those who were brought into Christ by faith are thus sanctified and are also made holy okay so you see what's going on he's gonna i'm getting a little ahead of myself with that comment he's going to break off branches and then other branches are going to be broke brought into it okay but whatever is receiving this app is holy okay life application one corinthians 6 verse 11 says that in christ you were washed you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you are thus made holy, it is incumbent on you to act in a manner worthy of this sacred calling and state. All right, now he's talking about Israel, but as we're going to see, we will be grafted into this same holy tree at some point. Others will be broken off, but Paul's words that the tree is holy the tree is holy okay 1117 go ahead
1: if some of the branches have been broken off you though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the
0: olive root. okay They're a little different but it's almost the same and if some of the branches were broken off in you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them And with them being a partaker of the root and the fatness of the oil of the olive tree okay very close but a little bit different on that okay from the symbolism of this verse verse 17 if from nothing else it should be evident that the church has not thank you not replaced Israel the tree is symbolizing the faith of Abraham and the spiritual covenant blessings associated with that If individual branches are individual believers, but which represent the whole, as must be the case here, then these spiritual blessings can be given to different types of branches on the same tree. The Bible makes it clear that there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile when in Christ, okay? This is speaking of the benefit of being in Christ, not the individual who is in Christ, Let me ask you, is everybody in here a pastor? No. No. Okay. Is everybody in here a plumber?
1: No.
0: So there are distinctions between us, right? It's not talking about no differences it's talking about no distinctions or if you say it's talking about no distinctions then there are different you know you can use the words interchangeably almost so one is used to define the other if there are no distinctions in christ there are still differences if there are no differences in christ then there are still distinctions one way or another don't get caught up in semantics not all of us are the same we are all in christ equally we all receive the same salvation we all receive the same uh, uh sap okay However, we are not all the same, actually. We have males. We have females. We have smart people. We have people that aren't so smart. We have pastors. We have whatever. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, make sure that you understand there's a distinction there. There is no di- or difference. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile when in Christ. That is, once again, speaking of the benefit of being in Christ, not the individual who is in Christ. In other words, the terms Jew and Gentile indicate a difference of individual. Likewise, different Types of branches indicate a difference in nature. Paul uses this symbolism to show us that some branches were broken off from the surrounding context. This is certainly speaking of what? Branches are being broken off. The surrounding context is Israel. Okay, so he's talking about? Jews. Those, those Jews who are rejecting God. Exactly. It is speaking of Jews who have been rejected or who have rejected Jesus Christ. Okay? From the surrounding context, this is certainly speaking of disbelieving Jews. They failed to accept the work of God in Jesus Christ, and they were cast off as rejected branches. This is open space for the Gentiles. Paul, speaking to the Gentiles in this portion of his letter, says, You! Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Gentiles. Obviously, if he's speaking to Gentiles, then he's not speaking to the Jews, right? And if he is speaking to the Jews, it's the Jews that have remained in the uh, tree. But predominantly, he is speaking to Gentiles, okay? So, obviously, he's making a difference here, okay? This is the only speaking of Gentiles who, being a wild olive, okay, now it can't be speaking of the Jews at all. It can't be speaking of them at all because they are natural branches. Everybody's saying this. I don't understand why people don't get this, but it's very clear. He's speaking to you, speaking about the wild branches. He must be speaking at this point only of Gentiles. Okay.
1: The uh, word sap.
0: Sap comes in. Exactly. All right. Speaking of Gentiles who being a wild olive tree are not the same as the Jew in individual nature, not spiritual benefit. Okay, as we'll be seeing, I just got done saying that. We're all spiritually have the same benefit in Christ. We are all the same salvation. We are all one in Christ. But there are differences, and he's just made a very important one Jew and Gentile. There are differences. Okay, the Gentile converts are not a part of the holy tree by nature. All Jews by nature are part of the holy tree. They have to be broken off because of unbelief, but they are already holy. The day that they're born as a Jew, they are born as holy. If they don't believe, they're broken off. Everybody see that? They were deemed as holy all the way back at the beginning. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel, all people who come from Israel. They are deemed as holy for God's purposes. That's why when he says in, what is it, um, Ezekiel 36, yeah, 36, yet not for your sake, O house of Israel, do I do this? but for the sake of my holy name, which you have blasphemed among the nations. It's implying that they were set apart as holy and they remain set apart as holy, but every time they disobeyed or disbelieved, they were broken off. But they remain holy as a collective whole. Not all are saved. Please don't make the the mistake and think that Charlie's saying that all Jews are saved. I'm not saying that at all. But they are, from birth, they are a part of this holy tree, okay? So, Uh, We'll go on. Let's see here. Where was I? In verse uh, 17, likewise, different types of branches. Oh, being wild olive. Okay, Uh, the nature, they are distinct and separate, the Jew and Gentile. However, the nature, when combined with wisdom in gardening, allows something to occur apart from the natural order of things. Wild branches can be grafted into cultivated trees. The reason for grafting, as was discovered many, many millennia ago, is that certain trees are... Why would you graft one into another?
1: Some are
0: strong. Some are stronger. They're hardier than others. They can withstand something that this not, this tree cannot handle. Okay. They're hardier than others. And so what you do is you have, here's a perfect example. The Japanese were masters of grafting. You've got this one type of tree. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I got it in my backyard. We've got a native Florida tree. You can't kill this thing. You can cut it down. It'll pop right back up. It has terrible fruit, but that thing, oh yeah, it's disgusting. If you eat it, you can't put, you could not put a bag of sugar into one fruit and make it sweet. It is that bad. Oh, it's horrible. And they have big thorns on them, which uh, everything about them is miserable. I've got some limes like that too. I keep cutting them and they keep coming up. It's very hardy. It's very hardy. It can handle all of the bugs in Florida. It can handle all of everything. You bring over a very sweet uh, tree from another place and you plant it here. It's not going to live. It can't handle the soil. It can't handle the bugs. It can't handle the variation in temperature, etc. So what do you do? You take a branch from that. You cut down that crummy tree. You bore a hole in it and you put the branch in there. And then you make a, uh, you know, uh, uh, take some leaves and stuff and uh, like a poultice, of you know, something yeah. and put it around there and you keep it watered. And eventually that thing will grow into there and it will sprout out and it'll have sweet fruit. When you buy a, um, what is it? Car- not, uh, gardenia. Okay. When you buy a gardenia, they have the the Japanese type. They grow up and then they grow out like this. Gardenia bushes grow out like this, right? They're just, they're they're all grown up. That's just, they're not hardy. They get worms, you know, but they have a lot of flowers when they do grow well, but they get worms and they die quickly. The Japanese ones are ones, you know, it's a graft because it's got a stem and then you can see a bump right Mm -hmm. there. And these are very hardy. You, You can't kill them off, but they don't have as nice of uh, flowers maybe, but they will last, okay? We've got one of those in my yard. It's right out by the bay with salt water on it. The thing wow. is holding together. It's been there for years, okay? And it's just starting to bloom right now. We've got little flowers and once in a while, I'll take them and put them in a cup and put them on the stove for Kitako, who just walked in late, and it smells good in the house all day. So, one other uh, I, uh, concept of grafting. We have a mango tree at our house. It was planted probably in 1948 because it's right there when they built the house, okay? And it's about this big around, and we all know the fruit on it are this big. I bring them in, and I can't give them away by the end of the season. There's so many. It's the sweetest mango on the planet, and it's also one of the biggest. They're massive, and they're sweet. But guess what? It is a graft. And how do I know that? Because on the bottom of the tree, there's a branch that comes out, and it's a completely different type of mango. It's little Indian mangoes. They're about this big, and they're yellow. They're not really good. They taste okay, but they're just – it's a complete – so I know – What's that? So it still comes out, it still it comes comes out because it's coming out below the graft. Wow. So on one tree, I've got two different types uh-huh. of mango. So I know that they took this this one mango, which is very good, but would not survive in Florida. Uh-huh. And they grafted it in there and they did this 50, 60 years ago. And the thing is still healthy and it, it comes out with more root. very nice. strong root. That's what's going on here. Yeah. So now you all understand the concept of what Paul is talking about. OK, I'm going to read start the paragraph again. The Gentile converts. Are not a part of the holy tree by nature. Those big sweet tr- uh, fruit—that's not a part of the original tree. Those little Indian mangoes are, or the gardenia, right? You got these different things that are going on. They are distinct. They are separate from it. The root is the Jew, the strong. They have all of the the theology. They have all of the traditions. They have the uh, the ancestry back to Abraham. They have the land. They have all the promises. They—that is the hearty part of it. Okay, so. However, when nature combined with wisdom and gardening allows something to occur apart from the natural order of things. Here we go. Wild branches can be grafted into the cultivated trees. The reason for grafting, as I said, is because of the hardiness of the, the, the tree itself or the roots. Yes. OK, so they can withstand harsher climates. They can defend against bugs, produce a variety of tastes within the same type of fruit tree. If you go to Malaysia, uh, yes, it was Malaysia. You go out to some of these islands and they've got um, Bogan Villas, which are, you know, they're very pokey, right? But they have grafted different Bogan Villa into one, and so, you know how beautiful Bogan Villas are when they bloom. You've got reds and yellows and whites and all these beautiful things all in one bush. It's astonishing to see. Somebody did a marvelous work of grafting these So you, at these resort places. But anyway, there you go. The same idea, all right? The Hardy Spiritual Tree that of the spiritual blessings which came through Abraham has natural branches from the line of promise, Isaac, Jacob, and the sons of Israel. However, at select times prior to Christ's coming, such as the Moabite Ruth, and more especially since Christ's advent, something unusual and wonderful has happened. Wild branches have been grafted in among them. Any believing Gentiles, by faith in the promises of Christ, become a partaker of the root and of the fatness of the olive tree, just as Paul says in that verse. So there on the one tree of spiritual nourishment are branches of different types and which will produce a variety of traits while being sustained by the same life-giving sap. Okay, let's think about it. Do we have believers in China? Do we have believers in Africa? Do we have believers here in the U.S., of native Indians? And then we've got people from Europe and we from all over the world. We're all different. We're all Gentiles, but we all are grafted into the same tree. Think of that, um, what was it, Bougainville I was talking about. All of the colors. We'll think of all of the different colors and shapes and sizes of people around the world. All being grafted contrary to nature, right? And then you have the Jews, they're interspersed, even to this day, among us, okay? That's what's going on, all right? So, um, all of them are getting the same life-giving sap. Again, as noted... This doesn't show a replacement, but an addition. Remember that Indian, uh, uh, what do you call it, branch that comes out of my mango tree? Didn't replace anything, it's still there. If I cut the branch off, it may sprout again, it may not, but it's still an Indian root. Okay, the big yummy mango is not a natural one. There you go. The Gentiles are grafted into the commonwealth of Israel's spiritual blessings because these blessings flow from the holy root, not because the Gentiles have replaced Israel. The root is still there, right? We are grafted into it. We did not replace it. Life application through faith in God's provision, all are one in the Messiah. Let us thank God for the immense blessing of And honor of eternal life granted because of the work of the Lord Jesus who was by the way a Jew Jew. thank you did that change at his resurrection did Jesus stop being a Jew do you think he's gonna return to Israel the land of Israel because he is gonna return to Jerusalem he's gonna sit in the temple or he's gonna sit in Jerusalem and he's going to rule right is he gonna do it among the Gentiles only Absolutely not. He's going to rule among his people, Israel, and we will be a part of that in whatever capacity he has decided. All right. Verse 18. Go ahead. Yeah, we become partakers. Mine reads, become partakers. (laughs) That's right. We partake. We do not replace. Yeah. We partake. That's a very good thought there.
1: Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You You do not support the root. root supports you
0: yes that's absolutely right you do not support the root the root supports you okay and that's we just got done talking about that with all different types of plants all over the place there's one root it doesn't change it is very hardy it's the one that was specially picked by God for a particular reason for a particular suited purpose which never changes okay that root that is now this big around on my mango tree is the same root that was planted eons ago, and if you were to take that those branches out of there and try to put them in their own branches and plant it, it wouldn't be as good. It has to be in that particular root, which is can handle this type of an environment. Okay, so um, let's see here. Verse 18, it's common for us to actually rejoice over the fall of others. I mean, we do it. When a Democrat loses, we all go, woo right? I mean, it's just natural. We rejoice over the fall of others. If we have somebody that we don't like in political office and they get caught up in a scandal, we usually in our hearts go, you know, I'm actually glad that happened. I, sometimes I do, and then I feel guilty about it. But it's natural for us to rejoice over others' falls. That is natural human thing. We shouldn't feel bad about that, except as it pertains to, you know, just being vindictive. We shouldn't right. be that way. But anyway especially when we have enmity towards them for whatever reason it's natural when our political oh yeah when our political party wins we often take as much pleasure pleasure in the loss of the other party or candidate as we do when we the win we participate in seeing a rival sports team get smacked is a pleasure to many even if that team is playing with someone other than the team they support it is a perverse side of humanity to revel in the downfall of others but it is a often common occurrence okay dad my dad played for the florida seminoles back in the 50s okay he was a wide receiver and the neighbor right down the way and they're very good friends he's a gator He was a gator his whole life he never played but you know there's this rivalry that goes on be- between them even if the gators are not playing the seminoles and the seminoles get beaten by somebody else my neighbor will be happy about it that shows you how perverse we are right <laughs> It's, it's just human nature. But when the Gators are playing the Seminoles, there's nothing more tense in Florida at that time. I mean, it's just, so there you go. And I'm not even a sports person, but I know this, okay? Um, Paul had a concern that the Gentiles would, as he says, boast against the branches, which were the Jews who had fallen, the branches that were broken off in the previous verse. They may feel justified because it was the Jews who had rejected their Lord and participated in his crucifixion and you see this all the time you see it all the time you go down some of these back streets and you'll see a church with a sign up that'll quote um, uh, Thessalonians 5 let me see if i can find the verse where it says it was they that crucified the lord um, hang on one second i just see if i can find it quickly if i can i'm not going to sweat it but um, uh, i'm sure it's 1 Thessalonians 5 um 2222 two, two, 2 um renders evil exhort uh Anyway, I'm not going to find it, but maybe it's not 1 Thessalonians 5, but it's in 1 or 2 Thessalonians, and he talks about the Jews who crucified the Lord. Okay, you know the verse I'm thinking of. Anyway, um, and they'll put that verse up there implying that the Jews still are out of favor, completely and entirely, and they will never be in favor again. Okay, anti-Semitism runs high in some churches is what I'm getting at. They have been completely replaced they're out and we boast over the broken-off branches that's the point I'm trying to make if you find it uh, Burke just holler it out it's um who crucified the Lord Jesus just look for the word crucified and you'll find it eventually um, it's in Thessalonians I think it's one Thessalonians but anyway um, might be two Thessalonians but we'll go on while he's looking um, let's see here so um, he had a, a concern that we would boast about those broken-off people all right they are the ones that crucified Christ. The question is, how could they have been so stupid? And we hear that a lot. We, You know, I, I even think it when I'm reading the Bible, and I think, how could they have missed Christ? I mean, the entire Bible points to him. So that's our question. It must have been a very common sentiment at the time, and it's still common today. We figured it out, and we don't even have your law or your heritage. But Paul has already shown that through their fall, meaning the fall of the Jews, to provoke them to jealousy, jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. We know that this is true. We know that this is coming. And you asked that question last week. Could it be that the rapture is going to do it? Something will be the impetus for making them jealous. It hasn't worked for 2,000 years, no. but something will be the impetus for making them jealous. Probably, as I say, and as Freda widely noted, wisely noted last week, is probably the, the uh, rapture. But whatever it is, something will do it. Okay, that is the... Reason why the church has been brought in and that salvation will come to the Gentiles. How could one boast over such a thing? Rather, they should have remorse and work to evangelize the very people who are out of favor. Even more, such boasting was something that showed a complete lack of thought concerning the state of those broken off Jews as well as their own personal state. To demonstrate this, Paul reminded them that if you do boast, Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. That's Paul's words right out of the verse. He's saying if you're, if you're going to boast, listen, this is a problem because you're being supported by the very root of the branches which were broken off. The root is the spiritual heritage which established both the Jews as well as the Gentiles. There is one continuous tree by which salvation is delivered. The Gentiles have been grafted into this tree while the Jews were derived directly from it. Understanding this and the fact that salvation is dependent on the spiritual heritage found in that tree, he will make the point in the coming verse that boasting is not a well-thought-through approach to this situation. In fact, it is contrary to sound reason. Life application. In the church we may feel that we are superior to the jews who sit in their synagogues and ignore the lord who came from them and who is the fulfillment of their own scriptures we aren't superior rather we recognized what they missed and we received it by grace through faith absolutely it was god's grace it wasn't it was grace is getting what you do not deserve it was not deserved and god gave it to us anyway and we received it by faith yes so found it. oh 215 2, 215 so it's uh two thessalonians no, oh one thessalonians 2 verse 15 if you, what you want. go ahead and just read it out loud if you have it in front of you no okay i'll get it uh two thessalonians Who both no. the lord jesus. oh okay go ahead go ahead Who
1: both killed the lord jesus and the prophets and drove us out they are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all.
0: Oh, there you go. See, and people will use that verse and say that the Jews are out completely. Okay? That's 1 Thessalonians 2, 15, right? Is that what you just said? Okay. So you, you have this uh, uh, boasting which goes on even, they take that verse completely out of context, denying, denying what it everything. says. Absolutely. Right. Denying everything else. Yes? I can't understand why anybody would think that if they read all the old testament covenants cuz everyone was unconditional except the government. You Absolutely. Know, like, and we talked about that in Leviticus 26 God. in detail. There is no way to get around it, but they will still close their minds to it and they'll still close their eyes to still, it.
1: Still the Jews
0: are still covered? By Absolutely. 100%. Those covenants are they can be broken by man, but they will not be broken by God. Right. Absolutely not. Okay. Um so we have A general overview of what God intends in redemptive redemptive history, but the details are lacking. Oh, wait a minute. We're in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I was reading the wrong life application. We aren't superior, speaking of the Gentiles over the Jews. Rather, we recognized what they missed and we received it by grace through faith. We may have access to the truth, but we are no better than they are. Instead of sitting smugly and boasting over the lost, we need to evangelize them in hopes of opening their eyes. In the case of the Jews, we should make a double effort. As the natural branches of the olive tree, their conversion to Christ can have a most important impact on the continuance of spreading the gospel. We saw it with that guy I mentioned the prophecy update, uh, Naphtali, Hananiah or Hananiah or whatever. And uh, anytime that a Jew comes to Christ, you have somebody that has an advantage that we don't have. They can evangelize their own people and they can evangelize the gentiles because they already have the body of knowledge all they need to do is just apply it, christ to that body of knowledge and it's it's just as natural as putting on a good fitting pair of blue jeans i was going to say shoes but that wouldn't go well with me so anyway good good fitting pair of blue jeans um uh anybody know what the only song it may have changed since then but the only song uh, when I was a kid, it was true. Uh, it was uh, from the fifties. It was played on a, the, all, all the instruments were played on a pair of blue jeans. Oh, what a man. pair of blue jeans. The guy doing this, it was Peggy Sue, I think. Peggy Sue, you listen to it, and there's a tapping sound. The guy just sat there and did it on his blue jeans. Anyway, I learned that from Dick Clark's Rock Rollin' Remember. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah. And anyway, so every time I hear that song, and I think it's Peggy Sue, and it starts with you hear the sound. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, there you go. Blue jeans. Okay, uh, verse 1119, go ahead.
1: Before I do that, yes. you were talking about the anti-Semitism within the Christian, some Christian churches Yep. like that. Monday brought goosebumps to me. Uh, to the, uh, oh, lady. wasn't that, that, that was wonderful! Amazing. I, I posted a few things, and every flaming arrow that I got was from a Christian.
0: Oh, absolutely! It was like,
1: I'm like going, absolutely!
0: absolutely. It's like
1: you know, oh, Christians
0: no. give flaming arrows to other Christians more than anybody else, and they give them about the Jews more than anybody oh, else. Right. They're worse than Muslims towards the Jews. I'm oh, telling oh, you, if that. you think that you're you've replaced them, this it throws off. All of their theology, literally mm-hmm. all of Catholic theology and all of reformed theology fails because they have taken this one point and they've said we have replaced them. And therefore, if they have been wrong in that, then everything is suspect, everything. And it is, it's suspect because the Lord has not rejected them. It's as clear as crystal and it's as obvious as the nose on your face. If you're looking in the mirror because you can't really see her. I can see it now. Let me try this eye. Uh, You know, I can't open this eye and see my nose at the same time. Anyway, um, so, but you know what I'm saying is, (laughs) Bert just about had a heart attack when I did that. Anyway, I, yeah, it was marvelous to see. And Jeffers, I heard, I didn't hear his uh, prayer, but I heard that he told the Jews that you must receive Christ. Oh,
1: he must Good fantastic. job. He's
0: done that before. He did it again. He tells the Jews just as it is. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. He did Christ. that with Shannon Bream at 11 o'clock, too. I am so happy. She had him on. I am so happy that people are willing to make that stand and not equivocate or, or you know, use dubious terminology or, not speak up boldly. It is Christ and it is Christ alone. Be still
1: and see what he will do.
0: Absolutely right. Okay, verse 19.
1: (laughs) You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in.
0: Okay, branches were broken off that I could be grafted in. This is our boasting. This is what Paul is saying. Don't do this, okay? He just told the audience not to boast against the branches and he gave the reason for it because they are supported by the same root that the broken... Off branches were supported by. But in the typical way of not thinking clearly on an issue, they may propose that they are somehow better or more favored than the branches which have been broken off. And so Paul preempts such thinking. He uses the words, you will say them. Okay? What's he doing there? He's making a legal argument, or, you know, the way lawyers would. His introduction of this statement shows that he understands and he anticipates this type of dialogue. He was trained in rabbinical studies, which would have included the study of argumentation for and against a matter. One method would be to introduce a thought prior to the opponent and then dismantle it. You're taught this in college. If you go to a college where they teach critical thinking, etc., or how to uh, you know, uh, what is it, debate other people, you'll be taught that. You take their argument, which you know that they're going to ask, and you dismantle it before they ask it. And it gets it out of the way, and they can no longer ask that without looking foolish. That's what he's doing here. This would leave the thought harder to defend. Politicians are often good at such preemptive strikes. This is Paul's approach here. Now, I'm going to stop. I cannot find my Thomas Aquinas. Either somebody pinched it out of here, or I took it home for some reason. And But Thank goodness we have it online. You can read all of Aquinas' work online. I recommend that you read it. Some of it you can take with a grain of salt if you want. But he does exactly what Paul does right here. So I want to show you how he does it. Now, Thomas Aquinas wrote the Summa Theologica. It's the sum of all theology, basically. Okay? It's giant... If you get the book, it's about this big, and it's got teeny little letters. It's, oh, okay. it, 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 you know, it's it's just giant, okay? Challenge. It's a challenge. And you can read a paragraph, and you can understand every individual word and not understand any two words side by side. He, it's so complicated. He's a very intelligent person. I know he was a Catholic. Don't email me about that. Don't <laughs> later say, well, you know, understood. You can have smart people that are in Islam. You can have smart... He wrote very intellectual arguments. Now, when he wrote the Summa, which deals with all manners of theology, it deals with the nature of God, it deals with the nature of angels, it deals with the nature of sin, with the nature of man, it goes, he's got every possible discipline that you could think of. What is the first chapter in his Summa? What do you think it would be? What does he start with? No, not replacement theology. You've got the Trinity. You've got the deity of Christ. Which one is he going to start with? Salvation is of the Jews. No, I'm going to tell you what he starts with. Think of it. I'm going to read it. It says the nature and extent of sacred doctrine. If the Bible isn't reliable, then you have no theology at all. And so he starts with the word of God. That was a man that understood the importance of the word. When we call this place a superior word, there's a reason for it. It's not just because it's superior avenue. It's because superior avenue is blessed by this word, okay? It is what he understood was the most important thing to begin his argument with. Not that it's more important than God. That's not what he's saying. But if you do not have the right source to speak of God, if you're using the Quran, you might as well just... Go ahead and do it and blow yourself up. It doesn't make any difference. So he starts with the nature and extent of sacred doctrine. And then what he does is he gives you articles. And uh, the, uh, the, this is question one, which is sacred doctrine. He says, is it necessary? Is it a science? Is it one or many? Is it speculative or practical? How is it compared with other sciences? Is it the same as wisdom? Is God, it's subject matter? Is it a matter of argument? Does it rightly employ metaphors and similes? And finally, the 10th article is, may the uh, sacred scriptures of this doctrine be expounded in different senses. That's something we talked about before we started, isn't it? Okay, so he has those 10 articles on the nature of sacred doctrine. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is to show you that this is, he argues the way that Paul is arguing here. I'm just going to read you the first objection. Okay, article one, whether besides philosophy, any further doctrine is required okay remember now this is the very beginning of his entire summa is the word of god and then he says is anything needed besides philosophical doctrine okay objection one he starts out with objections He's dismantling their arguments in advance. objection one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to give you a a, a sense that. It seems that besides philosophical science, we have no need of any further knowledge. Okay, then down to two. It's longer. I'm just cutting to the chase. Two, further knowledge can be concerned only with being, for nothing can be known save what is true. And all that is, that is, is true. And then he goes on from there. And then he says, so he's made these two logical arguments about the nature of philosophy being the only thing that we need, okay? And then he says, on the contrary. And what does he do? The very first thing he does, the very first thing that he does to defend the nature of sacred doctrine is to cite sacred (coughs) doctrine. It is written 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired of God, is profitable to teach, to reprove, to correct, and to instruct in justice. So he's saying that if you assume that there is something other than that, God has already told you. And if this is the word of God, then guess what? He set up the entire argument for the entire Summa based on the inspiration of Scripture. That was a smart man. If, if there was somebody that was to go down and I'm going to write all of these different things, I don't know how many out of the entire world would have said this, maybe 2 percent. OK, and then so he gives us on the contrary and he cites why. And then he says, I answer that. And he gives this long argument as to why what he said based on two Timothy three sixteen is true. And then he says, reply to objection one. And he gives a reply. And then he goes, reply to, objection to, and he gives his reply. He's just dismantled anybody in advance of making an argument other than his. Okay? It doesn't mean that they won't come up with a stupid one, but he's already given the reasons why their argument is stupid. That's what Paul is doing.
1: Look at the genius of that. Is that his up there?
0: What's that? There's there's two. No, no, the They're other dangerous. one The other one is some, something that somebody sent me a couple of weeks ago. It's oh. got three copies. That's not the Summa. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a, a Bible with three copies of, it's called the Hexapla. It's got the Wycliffe Bible. It's got the, um, oh, it's marvelous. Open it up and take a look. It's the new one. So I just put it up there today. I'm glad that you noticed that. Anyway, yeah, the one that I have is a paperback, and it's only about this big, but it is just chock full of real small letters. Anyway, um, he's got some interesting things and some things that I just wouldn't even bother with. But over and all, you want to know about the nature of angels? You know, people want to write about the Nephilim from Chapter 6, and they write all these stupid things. Listen, read his logical arguments, and you'll understand why you're wrong on that particular issue, okay? It just, it, it, you have to understand what is true because reality uh, truth is what corresponds to reality okay anything that doesn't correspond with reality is not true and when you start making illogical arguments like that guy did last night from scripture it's not true because it doesn't correspond with the reality of scripture he's taking scripture out of context anyway we'll go on. this is Paul's argument here he's starting this argument the argument branches were broken off that I might be grafted in this is the Gentile speaking In essence I have replaced that which was removed from the support of the roof okay of the root therefore they must not be worthy of the support that I'm in right that's what we're thinking as Gentiles they weren't worthy they were broken off but I am worthy I'm grafted in this type of thinking hasn't looked at the entire scenario God is working in and through humanity and only he sees the end from the beginning With the Bible complete, we have the overall plan, but we still don't have the details. Does anybody here know the day of the rapture? Guess what? It wasn't Monday, was it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it wasn't Monday. All those people predicting. That's the first thing Bob said when he walked in on Sunday. He says, well, you're not going to be happy when I tell you this. I said, what's that? He said, oh, everybody's predicting the rapture tomorrow. I said, well, every one of them is wrong. Like, God's not going to be outdone by a bunch no. of dummies, okay? So, anyway, we don't have all of the details, and he's not going to tell us those no. things. And as a matter of fact, he specifically says, don't. do not do this, right. okay? Right. I did that once. I admit it freely. In October of 2005, I thought the Lord was coming. Why? I was convinced. Of, well, it doesn't matter. I can show you sometime when we have an hour and a half to go through it. Very convincing, all right? And I realized after that, there's no point in speculating. No. Absolutely. I'll tell you how convinced I was. I'll just tell you this. Okay. You wore shoes. No, 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 no. I didn't wear shoes. That'll never happen. Okay. There was a pattern, okay? There was a pattern that was very convincing. It looked like this would be, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you what it is. And this will take just a couple minutes. I won't do the whole thing. I'm not going to give you it all because we'd be here all night. But there was a pattern that from the establishment of uh, Jerusalem. The recapture of Jerusalem, 7 June of 1967 until 5 March of 2005, which happened to be a, an eclipse moon on Rosh Hashanah. It was exactly, exactly 14,000 days. Exactly. And I said, well, isn't that interesting? I just, you know, I was looking in the computer and then later I read another guy's article that said, look at the same thing. You know, uh, nice guy. He's a friend of mine still. But anyway, um, uh I said, well, isn't that interesting? And here's what I did. I said, you know what? If this is a valid pattern in the Bible, we're going to assume that this is pointing to something. There will be something in the Old Testament that will show us a parallel. Okay, there will be a 14,000 day period in the Old Testament. I had no idea if there was one. Okay, you want to see how spooky this was and how sure I was? Okay, let's go there really quickly. Go to Numbers Uh, I think it's Numbers chapter 11. Let me see here. Yeah, I'm going to have to stand up to do this. Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. Okay? I'm going to do the calculation with you so you can see. Now, Hideko knows this because I had no idea this was there. But I knew that if this pattern was valid, that there would be something in the Old Testament that would show us this. Okay? So, Numbers 10, chapter 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day, 20th day of the second month. So you don't count the second month because you're in the second month, 20th day. You only count the first month. Got that to you. Does everybody understand that? 20th day of the second month. So how many days is that? That's 50 days. Okay. On the 20th day of the second month in the second year. Okay. So you're in the second year, so you only count the first year. Everybody got that? Okay. Okay. What does that come out to? Help me out. Uh, Five and six is what? Oh, it's 410. Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm not wrong in my calculation. I'm kidding. I already know this. Okay. So I said, okay, we got that date there.
1: Yeah.
0: That's a starting date. There's all kinds of dates here. We know this from Leviticus and from uh, Exodus. There's dates all over. So I'm looking at all kinds of dates and I'm just, but this is the day that they departed Mount Sinai right? And then they went under this term of punishment, right? Well, guess what? All kinds of dates, and I'm just looking through dates, and then I'm looking through dates, and I get to this date, and I say, oh, look at this. The day they left Mount Sinai to the day that they uh, went over the Jordan River. What does it say here? It says, Joshua chapter 4, verse 19. It says, now the people came up from the Jordan, means they passed through the Jordan, on the 10th day of the first month. So you don't count anything, just 10 days of that month. But guess what? We know that it's the 40th year. We know that, because it said that Moses was buried 30 days earlier. Okay, so it's the 40th year. So what do we do? We do 40 times what? 360. Somebody help me out so I don't screw up. 4 times 0 is 0. 4 times 6 is 24. 4 times 3 is 12. 12. Thirteen, fourteen, right? 14,400. 14,400. Plus you have 10 days. The 10th day of the first month comes out to 14,410, right? Uh-huh. Well, you take off the starting day, which is 410, and you come out to what? 14,000. I was absolutely convinced that the Lord was going to come because they left them out. And what does it say here? It says in uh, Numbers chapter uh, 11. It says, um, or not 11. It says Numbers chapter uh uh, no, uh, fourteen. It says, "But truly, as I live, all the earth, uh, all the earth, shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because these men who have seen my glory in the signs which I did in Egypt, in the wilderness, have put me to test. Now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they shall, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Right. So he'd reestablish them in Jerusalem in exactly fourteen thousand days later. saying that these people are rejected right and he even calls them the same term that peter called the jews the wicked generation he calls them the wicked it all fits so perfectly and then nothing happened and i said you know what it is the stupidest thing in the world to try to figure out what is the rapture i've never done it since then listen i didn't know what a didn't hardly know what a website was i didn't know what the internet was i had no any of this kind of stuff i mean I was just I was just looking for a pattern and there it was right I mean so yeah 2005 I mean that was just a couple years after I met the Lord you know it was 2001 and then 2003 we went to Israel you know and but anyway it, tell me that's not coincidental that I found it afterward knowing that it was be there it's not like I knew there was 14,000 days and oh that matches something that's gonna happen I said this is 14,000 days and there will be a pattern in the Bible if it's correct And it wasn't correct anyway but i do know why that number's there now i know exactly why it's because i found this out later it's because christ was crucified according to um what's his name um the guy um uh, sir robert anderson right sir robert anderson uh uh did the calculation it is correct there's no doubt about it he went to the royal star charts he was uh uh, he rode into jerusalem on 6 April of AD 32. He was crucified on 11 April AD 32. That's the date the Lord is crucified. Guess what? Exactly 14,000 days later on 5 August of AD 70 the temple was destroyed. That's what that was pointing to. Okay. Why this 14,000 day period here? It happened to match up. I don't know. The Lord may have had a reason for it, but I was completely wrong. And I realized he I am never, see. never doing this again. He wanted right.
1: to see if you'd something. Yeah, you yeah, want to see if
0: I learned my lesson <laughs> you, or not.
1: Did you do any preparation?
0: No, I just, I had a website and I, I put no, on I there, see. you know. You no, you? we didn't prepare anything. We didn't prepare anything. I, you know, didn't cool. get it. You walked around in great awe. I just, yeah. yeah I, I And I also very walked perfect. around in great you know les feldick did the same thing if you know Les feldick as he said i did that once i'm never doing that again he learned his lesson too but some people are like dogs going back to the vomit they just continuously the rapture's coming they're listen it's going to happen when it happens and it is not worth us Trying to outsmart God. All right. The, 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 you to take
1: nothing with you, so there's no yeah, preparation. There's, yeah, it's no hard. preparation. It's just spiritual pride. It, it, yeah, exactly. Charlie, that's why people are into this prophecy stuff.
0: I understand. I but you know what? Prophecy, or it, it does make, make us excited. Make but a prophecy things. update should tell people about the times they're living in, yeah. not speculating anything would beyond they that. Love I, speculation. I know they do. And you know, the one thing that makes me almost nauseous is you see these people that say every three months they say the same thing isaiah 17 damascus is going to be destroyed and this is the perfect time and then three months later it's they've forgotten so i'm going to bring it up again and it 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 gets them hits it gets people interested and then three months later they do the same thing listen when damascus is destroyed it is going to be destroyed it's not going to be something like what's happening right now anyway let's go on let's not worry about that but i want you to see yeah it, it is interesting okay so here we go um Uh, The argument branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. In essence, I have replaced that from which received the support of the root. Therefore, I must be more worthy than they are. Okay? As I said, this type of thinking hasn't taken in the entire scenario. So, as time unfolds, the details come with it, and we can more clearly see what is actually happening. Charlie Garrett learned his lesson, all right? God has the answers, we do not. Okay, Paul, however, has been trained by the Lord. As Galatians 1, verses 15 through 17 will tell us that. As a matter of fact, let me read that to you, just so you know what I'm talking about. Galatians 1, uh, let's see here. 15, what's that? Yes, but it, uh, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace... To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Okay, so he received his instruction directly from the Lord. Guess what? Arabia today is not the Arabia that he was talking about. The Sinai Peninsula, if you look at the older maps, Arabia was the Sinai Peninsula where Mount Sinai Was Yes. So he went to Mount Sinai where the first covenant was received. And there he met with the Lord. Okay, that's why people. Another thing they do is they've taken a a giant, giant error in their thinking of the crossing of the Red Sea. And, you know, all these people that are saying it actually happened and it's over in Saudi Arabia. It's because they've misread this and they didn't don't understand the old terminology. Go back and look at any of the old maps read about the times, and that is what he's talking about. It's not talking about Saudi Arabia, but these people insist that, you know, the trek was all the way across the Sinai Peninsula, and then they went through the Red Sea, and then they went over. Listen, it's a three-day walk that they, the third day, they went. It, it doesn't fit. It's just no. incorrect. But people, they read a book, and they watch a thing on TV, and they think, oh, I've got the answer. It's not correct. The pat pattern that is laid out, we did it in the Exodus sermons, is correct. It is exactly where these things happened. They know these things. So, if you want to know that, go back and watch the Exodus sermons. Okay, so we'll go on. He was trained by the Lord directly and at Mount Sinai. No doubt about it, okay? God knows the plan in advance. Therefore, Paul can rightly argue against faulty views, and then he can instruct the church more appropriately in matters related to faith. Okay? Life application uh we i think we're going to do we have time to do we don't have time to do another verse because uh uh we started a couple minutes early and it'll go over an hour and a half and that'll cause Mike all this extra grief with the uh the thing so we'll just do something else but let me finish this up life application we have the general overview of what God intends in redemptive history but the details are often lacking as history reveals these details we may need to reconsider our viewpoint This is something that is very hard to do for several reasons, but pride of opinion is generally the root of each of them. When history caught up with the the plans of the Bible and Israel was restored to her land, the thinking of the church should have changed to accommodate what had occurred. But for many, there is an unwillingness to see the truth of the matter. What is coming does include Israel, and therefore we need to not fight against God in the process. Exactly what you said about the Christians, you know, belittling uh, Israel and, you know, the moving of the embassy. They don't want this to happen. They do not want to see what is happening come to pass because it will harm their theology, which you know, they look at John Calvin as their great hero. They look at the Pope as their great hero. They look at the Catholic Church, who is all of these things, saying that they have replaced Israel, that Israel is out. All of these things from the Old Testament have been spiritualized, and they can't go back and undo that. And so, yeah, you got to not do that. I'm um, here. Let me have that pen here. That's a, Did you put a,
1: a mark on his name?
0: No, yes, I'm going to put a mark next to Burke for that. Yeah, cell phones are—they really throw you off when you're trying to think. But we're done anyway. But um, uh, what do we have? For we have. Um, here you go. Thank you. I want to make sure I have that for next week. That's okay. It that was my fault. to verse
1: 25. The what? We could just fast forward. To uh-huh. verse, 25. verse
0: 25. What do you, uh-huh. what do you pointing at? Verse 25. Boys Hang on. Of
1: the
0: Gentiles become all yeah. these things. Oh yeah. Let me just read it. And then we're going to close with that. For I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, we're not going to start with that next week, but that's a good verse to end with this week. It's it's a good verse, and we probably won't even get there next week. But, um, you know, it just... If you don't learn anything else from this study today, other than that I'm completely hodgepodge in my presentation of Bible studies, I would hope that you would learn not to try to predict the date of the rapture. If nothing else, I think that would be a good thing for you to remember because you can have the most convincing argument on the planet And to me, it was just impossible. Here we have a pattern, which is, you know, it's going to happen on, you know, this day in October, and it matches with the feast days, and it matches with this and that. And Jerusalem was recaptured. I mean, everything was so perfect. And the Bible had a pattern that I thought must be there, right? I mean, tell me that's not a convincing thing. Right? And it didn't happen. What is prophecy for? What? What What is prophecy for? Prophecy is for us to say, God did this after right. it has happened it's not, to that, predict, it's not to predict to know ever who
1: to give the credit
0: to. that's right <laughs> it, it, as a matter of fact I would almost, I would almost go so far. Maybe I will. I'll think about it and I'll, I'll uh, think about it tonight. And then I will almost go so far as to say that predicting the way that people do is sinful. Oh. Because it, it, one, it's pride. Two, it's it's showing that you think that you know something that God has said you're not going to know, etc. And so I don't want to say that definitely until I've thought it through. But I, I think it's probably a sinful thing. I certainly regret it all these years later. I mean, what is it? It's 2018, 13 years ago. And I still think about that all the time. That's why I'm so adamant in the pulpit when I say, do not do this. You know, people send me these nasty emails. Well, you don't know anything. And, you know, listen, I had a pattern better than any pattern they will ever come up with because it was from the Bible and it didn't work out. And I still regret that all these years later. Who did I harm with that? How did I harm them? How did I affect their walk with Christ? I think of it all the time right? We are not to be predicting that kind of stuff. We can look at the signs of the times. We can look at the general outline, but the details have been withheld from us. And because they have, they ain't going to be revealed until after it happens. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful word. Thank you for this class. Thank you for the, uh, the um, what do you call it, the streaming cameras that Sergio set up. And we prayed that uh, they went well today and that the audio was good. And we certainly pray for those who helped pay for that it was a very big expense and it was a lot of work for sergio and so we thank you that uh we have that and uh, we pray that you would keep those things running and running efficiently for all of our classes and studies and for the streaming audience and lord we certainly thank you for all of the people that are with us streaming or that watch on youtube that cherish these bible studies and the sermons that is that is where your heart is is in your word and And so we just uh, would pray that each person that is benefited by those would be willing to go out and tell others about what they know as well and pass on their knowledge. And Lord, we just thank you for the week ahead. We look for the anticipation of a coming sermon on Sunday, and uh, we pray that that would go smoothly. And we just thank you for all the good things you've done for us, and I thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me turn this thing back here. Before I put this oh yeah um, let's see here we're gonna go to I can't read it they're that big and I can't read it okay there we go